Welcome to the Cultivate Podcast, where we explore what it means to be a follower of Jesus. This week's podcast is the beginning of a series on the book of Ephesians. Ephesians wasn't some backwater in modern Turkey. It now is a distance from the ocean of a mile or two, but at the time it was a port city before silt and different things robbed it of the port. It was a significant city of between 400 and 500,000 people. It was an incredibly important place in terms of trade and commerce. It was a centre of Diane or Artemis worship and also the Dionysus cult. It was a place that Paul knew. He had lived there once for three months and again for about three years. The book of Ephesians is not a personal epistle like Timothy or Titus, but written along the line of the other prison epistles, Colossians, Philippians, Philemon. Ephesians is designed to teach essential truth about the nature and purpose of God's plan and the church's role in that work. Paul makes it clear that the way we understand our position, our purpose and our priorities will have a significant impact on our maturity. He spends the first half of the book outlining God's plan and the second half on what that looks like in our day-to-day lives. We can be reasonably sure of the time and authorship of this book because of the similarity in language to Colossians. There are a number of phrases that are very similar and both share similar themes and vocabulary. For example, Ephesians 1 verse 7, Colossians 1 verse 14, Ephesians 1 22 and 23, Colossians 1 verses 18 24. Ephesians 3 verse 2, Colossians 1.25. Ephesians 3 verse 9, Colossians 1.26. You get the idea. It's no surprise the books are similar. Have you ever noticed how when people have really strong professional skills, it can show in the way they look at their faith? For example, my wife taught primary school and French, so she has a strong focus on language and making things clear. Paul was a trained Jewish scholar, and so he to explain the concepts of faith. The book of Ephesians is loosely based on Isaiah's chapter 55 to 59. If you want to read a really good exposition of this, I would recommend David Negley's Ephesians, The View from the Mishkan. Oh, sorry. The Mishkan is the ancient Hebrew word for tabernacle. These podcasts aren't an intensive study or a devotional. Its sole purpose is to invite you to explore the text and ask questions about your own faith. I've asked a few questions at the end to get you started, if that helps. However, I'm sure you'll have much better questions and far more insightful questions than I do. But my prayer is that whatever value my reflections have, you will be blessed and learn more of Jesus' great love for you by exploring his word a little deeper. 
Ephesians 1 begins by exploring the whole theme of redemption. Ephesians chapter 1 verses 7 and 8 in the New Living Translation read, He is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his Son and forgave our sins. He has showered his kindness on us along with all wisdom and understanding. Paul begins by painting a picture of redemption and summarising the main purpose of the book, God's purpose and demand for unity. The Greek word for redemption found in Ephesians 1.7 meant a release affected by payment of a ransom. We often talk about it as being purchased from freedom, being about a coupon or a voucher. But in Greek, the implication is that if you had been sold into slavery because of your crimes and Jesus found you, paid the slave master for your freedom and let you go. That is what redemption is. It's a picture of us being freed from slavery. But redemption doesn't stop there. God doesn't redeem us from sin simply to be left in some confusion about where we are. Redemption is not simply a freedom from our past or sins, but the freedom to walk in our inheritance. Paul makes the point of our inheritance three times in his brief introduction. He talks about adoption in verse 5, and then inheritance in verses 11 and 14. Remember Paul was a Roman citizen in a Roman world, and he saw adoption a little bit differently to what we probably do. We see adoption by celebrities and benevolent parents. We see the kindness as they select a child from desperate circumstances and give them the benefit of a stable home and their love. This is a wonderful thing, but it's not really what Paul was meaning. Falsidia Lex was the law that covered adoption in the Roman world. <clears throat> I want you to imagine a Roman family. When the parents died, all the influence and the wealth that they had would be separated between the sons. Unfortunately, daughters didn't get a fair deal. So that division was made amongst the children. And so the Romans didn't want to have too many children because they didn't want to see their influence in the Senate or their wealth split too many ways. The risk was, of course, that if you only had one child and they died, then all that influence and wealth could be lost. And with child mortality rates high, sometimes Roman families were left with the idea of adopting a son to carry on their name. They would pick someone that would follow the name, look after the wealth, and use their influence. So they'd adopt, preferably the firstborn son of a poor family, they would pay the family a small amount, and the adopted child takes the family's name, although sometimes they were able to keep their own name as a bit of a nickname. Being adopted was the Bible Times equivalent of winning the first prize in lotto. You went from absolute poverty to incredible riches and power. Redemption in the Bible isn't a singular transaction. 
we are redeemed for our sin and then we are adopted into a future that provides us with every spiritual blessing. If redemption is a business that God is in, how do we express redemption in our day-to-day lives? How do you think God feels when he adopts you? Does your understanding of redemption also include adoption? Paul expands this thinking in verses 15 and 16 in the New Living Translation reads, Ever since I first heard of your strong faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for God's people everywhere, I have not stopped thanking God for you. I pray for you constantly. Paul continues the theme of adoption into the prayer at the end of the first chapter. Paul has created this picture for the Ephesians to know how God loves them and treasures them, how he freed them from slavery by his blood, or the blood of his son, and has now adopted them into his family. They know that as soon as they are adopted, they have access to the family, wealth and power to radically change their life. So what does Paul pray exactly? Just what you would expect someone to do in that situation. Verse 17, get to know the adoptive father. Verse 18, learn how much their inheritance is. And verse 19, understand how much power and influence they have as a new member of the family. Have we prayed to understand what redemption and adoption mean for us? Are we praying to know our adoptive father, not simply as an eternal God, but also as a loving father that wants to be intimately involved in our life? Do we understand the extent of our inheritance? And as it reflects in verse 19, do we understand our potential as new family members? And if not, why not? God bless. Thank you for joining the Cultivate podcast. If we can help you with anything or you'd like some notes, please email us at crosscultivation at gmail.com. God bless.